0: welcome to the commentary magazine daily podcast today is thursday october 28th 2021 i am john pothor the editor of commentary magazine i just want to quickly say that uh, we have been talking about the same subject not that you don't do that in the news anyway but we've been talking about the same subject how what's going on with biden and the infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill and all this for you know days and weeks now and and months if you count the uh, summer and um Our podcast conversation started to feel to me like the second scene of the um, most nihilistic play that Shakespeare ever wrote, Troilus and Cressida, uh, which is set during the Trojan War. And the second scene is all the Greeks outside the gates of Troy uh, having the same conversation that they have been having now for 10 years as they try to figure out how to breach the walls of Troy, which they can't do. So they're just sitting there. And, you know, uh, Odysseus gets up and starts, Ulysses starts, gets up and starts talking and you see everyone on stage is like, you said it already, we heard it already 5,000 times. So I thought we needed to bring in our friend, Matt Continetti, our Washington commentary columnist, Free Beacon columnist, founder of the Free Beacon uh, AEI scholar to freshen us up a little bit so that we don't say the same thing we said yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Hi, Matt. Hi, John joining Matt and me and as as they are every day that same crew of of Greeks sitting outside the walls of Troy executive editor Abe Greenwald hi Abe hi John associate editor Noah Rothman hi Noah hi John and senior writer Christine Rosen hi Christine hi John so uh we we're 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 taping this late today because we wanted to listen to Biden speak and watch the morning and when we heard that Joe Biden was going to the hill and the, you know, he was going to, and there was a Nancy Pelosi was going to speak and he was going to speak and all of this. Uh, we kept saying to each other, uh, I guess they have a, they must have a deal. They must, you know, I mean, obviously he wouldn't be going to the Hill and then announcing he was making a speech if they didn't have a deal. And I still, we still don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the day, but they, they don't have a deal. They don't have any kind of a deal. There is no deal. How is this? Matt, help. How is this possible? How is there not a, what what just happened? What Biden's speech, what just happened? They're going to, they're, they're, Pelosi's going to call for a vote on the infrastructure bill, but she doesn't know if it's going to pass. And they don't know if there's a framework and they don't know, help. What's going on? Well,
1: I think the way that Pelosi has attempted to get around the uh, challenges presented by her very narrow, majority is to create these artificial deadlines. So we had to do, we have to pass this before the government funding runs out a month ago. Uh, Okay. That didn't happen. So now we have to pass it before uh, Halloween, which is when the surface transportation bill funding uh, runs out. And so this, these artificial deadlines create a sense of urgency And uh, then a kind of um, propulsive uh, energy that um, is supposed to achieve one aim. And that aim, it seems to me, is to make the progressives roll over so that the House can pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which has already passed the Senate. Remember, it passed the Senate earlier this year uh, with the bipartisan majority and has been languishing in the House ever since because the Progressive Caucus, which is large, it's about 40 people, have said that they will only vote for the infrastructure bill when they know that a vote on the uh, originally $3.5 trillion, now about $1.7 uh, trillion social spending package is also imminent. Uh, however, we, it's not in, imminent. And so, and so we're at this position where we're, we're probably likely to just uh, roll go over another one of these artificial deadlines Pelosi has set. And so I expect that she'll just make up another
0: one. OK, Noah, here's what I think is happening. This entire conversation has come to center on what is going to happen with this once three and a half trillion dollar bill. Now, as Matt says, according to the White House, around 1.75 trillion. And the question is, will Democrats in the House and Democrats in the Senate agree to the theoretical framework that has been issued by the White House this morning that supposedly Biden and his people were working on with the two holdout Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and 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 either is it I still once again is it Kristen or Kirsten I think it's Kirsten Kirsten. okay Kristen or Kirsten what did you say Kirsten Kirsten okay Kirsten cinema (laughs) none of the above and what about Gillibrand I'm not even going there okay it's impossible to remember how okay I think it's Kirsten Gillibrand and Kristen cinema okay forget I mentioned (laughs) Gillibrand I apologize I'm punchy so they issue this framework That has been is was the subject of an encouraging tweet by a statement by Senator Cinema saying we've made a lot of progress. Not we have a bill I'm gonna vote for, we have an agreement that I'm gonna vote for, we've made a lot of progress. Okay. And the house is now talking about this framework. And is it good enough? Is it not good enough? They want to see language, the progressives want to see language. And this is all a smokescreen because the whole question is, can Pelosi get enough Democrats to vote for the infrastructure bill that is now sitting at the House if she brings it to the floor of the House to get Biden a victory and get her a victory and get the Democratic Party a victory on passing a big bill that had bipartisan support both in the House and in the Senate? The whole thing we're talking about here is a smokescreen. It's all about seducing the progressives into letting this infrastructure bill, which passed the Senate two months ago, through so that Democrats can record a win here at the end of October and in advance of the elections in Virginia and New Jersey on Tuesday. Am I right about this?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the whole progressive strategy has been to hold the infrastructure bill hostage, and I don't see why they would stop doing that. This, if, if Pelosi puts this to a vote, leaves a vote open, it's the first time I can think of that they're actually putting the screws to progressives. There've been a lot of courting, a lot of cajoling, not, not, not too much pressure, some gentle pressure, but, but the you know the whole approach has been really, honestly, like, really, you're really going to do this? That's the whole, that's the entirety of the argument. And so far, progressives have said yes, to the extent that they have three people who will say yes. I mean, there there might be Republicans who will, who will save their bacon, but I doubt it As if, um, if the build back better framework, whatever that means, is operative and live, then they probably will have to do it themselves. And they, they only can lose three. And there are absolutely three progressives who will, who will hold out on this thing. Um, the sense of palpable despondency among Conservatives who have don't not go been there a part yet.
0: Don't 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 go there yet, because we still have to. So let's not talk. No, about we, have where to, well, we have to talk are.
2: about Joe Biden's speech. We really, yeah, have to yeah, I know, talk about I know, I know. Speech. But
0: let let's try to. I just want to sort through where we are. Then we should talk about the speech, and we should talk about the conservative reaction. But I want to focus this because I'm trying to get a linear sense of what's happening here. The conversation this morning on the Hill is about the Build Back Better, much bigger bill. The action today has nothing to do with that. There is either going to be or not going to be legislative action today. That legislative action will be in the House of Representatives on the infrastructure bill, which is a trillion dollars or about 500 billion in new spending. Senate passed it two months ago. It's sitting in the House. As we speak, we don't know whether there will be a vote today or there won't be a vote today. Noah, you're right.
2: There are, we should note, there are now three progressives on the record saying they will not vote for hard infrastructure.
0: Pelosi has said, as Dennis Hastert said before her, and, uh, you know, Paul, everybody says, Pelosi said, I will not bring a bill to the floor of the House that I know is going to lose. I would never do that. What would the point of that be? That's what she said. Right now, the question is: Is she going to hold their feet to the fire? Meaning, is she going to call a vote on the infrastructure bill, with the knowledge that, as we have now heard, Cory Bush, uh, Chewy Garcia, and, and, I Rashida think ha- and Rashida Tlaib. and Rashida Talib? Hell no, now- Biff. Now Let's say, say that. They will I think not there's another
1: to. one too um, uh, who uh, for also for immigration reasons just said
0: that was chewy Garcia. yeah
1: now there's another
0: another oh, there's another one. okay so we now know that the bill will fail if Nancy Pelosi brings it to the floor for a vote. There's a way in which she disciplines them by bringing the bill to the to the floor, meaning, okay, you want to ruin, you want to destroy it, you want to be seen as somebody who is harming, actively harming the president and the party and our future. You go right ahead. There, We're taking down names and you are going to be punished for your transgression. I don't know where this is going to be. People are going to listen to this podcast all day and tomorrow, so I have no...
3: I don't believe she's going to bring up for a vote. I just want to say I think, in terms of um, sticks and carrots, uh, I think she's got the completely wrong stick dealing with the progressives. I don't think they care if if that's what they're thought of as. I, I to the contrary, I, I they, they've been they've been tweeting all week, um, you know, uh, points to ensure that that's how they're thought of. That is that is their bread and butter. They, 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 they want to be thought of as, of, of, of as as obstructing this.
2: OK, there's so no Steve, downsides to that. And as we speak, by the way, that progressives are leaving their caucus and to one by one, they're all saying no, 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 no.
0: So there isn't going to be a vote on the infrastructure bill. That's madness. That's something that you do if you want to kill the Democratic Party, not help it like it, I would love it. That would be fantastic. Joe Biden's big thing that he just said in his speech, which we'll get to proved that they could have compromise and they figured out how to compromise in all of this. Uh, That's why he was elected, he said in this speech. Is lit up in flames by Democrats. I got no problem with that. Nancy Pelosi will have a problem with that and so will Biden because his presidency is on the line, he said this morning. He apparently said to the people on the Hill when he went to the speech, my presidency is on the line. And Pelosi said, do not embarrass the president. If she calls the vote for which they are saying they will they will cast no, the president will be unbelievably embarrassed. So let's so I'm not assuming or not assuming anything will happen. But as a result, this entire kabuki play is now over. She won't she won't call the vote. And we are yet again going to be seeing this two months from now. Right. Yeah. And it's another win for the Progressive Caucus.
4: I mean, she, you know, she's she, her, I think her mistake has been treating them like giving angry toddlers a timeout every time one of these things happens. The punishment should have come in the first round not now I mean it's too late now and all of their all of their sort of intellectual and social media organs have been uh you know I forwarded you guys this funny uh note from Jacobin which is like hold tough you know don't you dare compromise you you can you have every legitimate reason to never compromise on this because we you know they keep whittling down this this the the soft in- infrastructure stuff so we have to hold the other hostage it, it's it's in some ways, though, it, this is all on, this is on Biden. This is the guy who came into office with a narrow majority and yet still compared himself alternatively to FDR or LBJ. Um, just this morning, someone tweeted that he was saying, I'll because I'll be better than both if we get all this stuff
0: done. Pride he said, this before bill a fall. is bigger. Yes, this Bill. These two bills together are bigger are than more than, anything, yes. than LBJ and FDR did together. Yes. So. Pride cometh before a fall. He yeah. never
4: had he never had the American people behind these ideas and listening to it. I know we're going to talk about his speech, but we, we were all kind of aghast at this speech because he, he's just giving his he sounds like a candidate running for office, not someone who's been in office for nine months and is supposed to get
0: stuff done. OK, Matt, so let's let's try to let's try to unpack this. He's going to be at FDR and LBJ. Um, Whom the gods destroy, they first make mad. So, he has a three-seat majority in the in the House and a no-seat majority in the Senate, and tries to spend together roughly three trillion extra dollars on top of the money spent on the uh, COVID emergency this year. Um. So the logic in the Democratic caucus being so narrow now, you know, with this tiny majority is the progressives saying we want everything or we want nothing. And other Democrats saying we'll just vote for whatever. And so they're going to get nothing, it looks like, at least for now. I, I said this a couple of months ago, the reason that this is different from other circumstances like this in the past is that when conservatives vote against legislative actions and spending, they are doing so because conservatives in general oppose big government and want less of it. And they have to be cajoled into government doing things or through pork or whatever, things that will be specifically helpful to them. Democrats want government action for everything. Progressives are going to tank a trillion dollars in infrastructure spending. Because it's not enough money, because they want the larger sum of money for these other programs. Uh, Thank you. Like, I I want to I want to get on (laughs) my knees and thank Pramila Jayapal. I would thank Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib these two foul, rotten, monstrous anti-Semites for exposing the dementia of their movement, their party, and everything that they believe in. But I don't think they want my thanks. So what on earth are they doing? Well, it's not that
1: they wouldn't vote uh, for the infrastructure spending. And it's not as if they wouldn't vote for even this social spending framework that the White House put out that apparently the White House agreed with itself about. Um, what their what concern is, is that if they go along with the Pelosi-Biden plan and vote for this infrastructure bill, then they will never see the social bill. It will never come out. It will never emerge from the Senate because, as people have observed, the statements of um, compliment, the, the complimentary statements that Senators Manchin and Cinema have made about this framework the president announced this morning did not actually include the words, the word support. <laughs> so right. they're giving every indication that this is not actually a done deal, right? Oh, it's and even so- better
0: than that. It's even better than that because the statements that have come out as far as I can tell, that suggests that the Senate will not pass this bill. The statement that came out is from Bernie Sanders. We've been spending six months talking about tailoring things to help Manchin and Cinema, And now Bernie Sanders is counseling progressives in the House not to vote right. for the infrastructure bill in order, to conti- in order to give him leverage. There is no way to satisfy Sanders and Manchin and Cinema. Sanders will kill it. It only takes one Democrat to kill it. One. One vote against. I even think
1: Sanders would vote for something that, that actually people agreed on. Basically, Pelosi and Biden are asking the progressives to just give up their leverage. in in the hopes of giving Biden a symbolic victory ahead of his trip to this climate conference in Scotland and the elections on Tuesday. And if you're a progressive, which I am not, uh, but I can understand the the mentality of, why would you give up the only leverage you have for, even if if the eventual social spending bill is not the ideal, the three and a half trillion dollar bill, it will still be something. But right now, Pelosi is basically saying, forget about that. And it's much more likely, in fact, that if they pass the infrastructure bill on its own, the mansion and cinema, or, as you point out, even Sanders, though so doubtful, it's more likely Mansion and Cinema, would just walk away, because Mansion's on the record saying we need a pause before passing this social spending bill. He wrote that in The Wall Street Journal months ago, and no one seems to actually go by, you know, uh taking
0: it at his word. Um, so what so you're I saying to what me, the progressives are doing. But I don't. I mean, I do, no, <laughs> but everything you say makes sense, and everything Noah says makes sense. Here's what you have. Hi, I'm a Democrat. I want to go spend a trillion dollars. No, you are not going to spend a trillion dollars on my watch. You're only going to spend four trillion. How dare you? How dare you suggest spending a trillion extra when you can spend four? I understand it. Politics, we have moved into an era in which politics is no longer the art of the possible. That's what's interesting about this. Biden is the last Democrat, by which I mean he is a Democrat from 1972 and people do things for the party and to make compromises or whatever and all of that. And you have this entire rump in Congress. We saw it with Republicans. We now really see it with Democrats who have no fealty, loyalty or sense of connection to any of that and this notion that they can't let this happen this guy is the head of the party. They can't let this happen. It is Armageddon for him if this dies and the social bill dies. They don't care. If Can they don't, care, though, John,
1: okay. I don't think this means, even if there is no vote held today and the BIF doesn't pass, the bipartisan infrastructure, I don't think it's the end. As I said at the outset, there's just going to be another deadline. Let's remember Obama didn't sign Obamacare until March of 2010 right i mean yeah but I mean, that it was but after it were three votes
0: that was, that was there after weren't he three, lost. yeah but there weren't three cliffs there yeah, weren't three cliffs he so had Bob a bigger he had a bigger margin all along
2: the way right and they right. were and and it it took an electoral backlash to really make that uh, you know the urgency that they needed to to pass this thing they had spent 16 months talking about i, I mean it was it took a lot of A lot of effort to get Democrats on board to waltz into a buzzsaw that they knew was going to be a buzzsaw. You're talking about about 2010, but right now the same thing is happening. We are witnessing the ground shift beneath our, our feet, and nobody seems to really want to reckon with it, least of all conservatives, even though everything's going in their direction. We have watched this gigantic bill slough off layers like a dying star, all on its own for months, the Republicans are irrelevant. Conservatives are disorganized. They are not part of this conversation. And yet we're witnessing now people pitching this thing, the president pitching this thing with conservative talking points. I'm, I'm, I'm introducing Joe Biden's speech because I got to get into it. His yes, very, go ahead. The very first thing that he did when he took to that microphone, um, in this meandering, confused, nonsensical pitch for this thing that contradicted itself in a hundred different ways, the first thing he did was talk about how it's a conservative bill. It reduces the debt. It it, it it's fiscally responsible because it's perfectly paid for. It reduces inflationary pressure. All this stuff that are conservative issue sets that they win and own, and that doesn't. And nobody believes any of that nonsense. But they're playing fealty to it, just deference to what voters want demonstrates where why political gravity is is against them this is all centrifugal force and conservatives should recognize that they're winning this thing by default
3: no don't forget he he announced he articulated plainly i'm a capitalist yeah that was one of the few words yeah. you could understand <laughs> yes
0: yeah by the way i mean i hope people have noticed that you know his um his articulation <laughs> Uh, is becoming really a pretty significant problem It was so bad that he really did at some point turn into Charlie Brown's teacher while I was listening. I mean, granted, maybe I have a little ADHD, so it's hard to pay attention when he starts talking about electric vehicles and stuff like that. But I mean, there was a point at which it was just sort of like, and I was like what the what i I don't understand the words that he is speaking here see see I
4: think he he turned into climate change Oprah like you get an electric school bus and you get an electric <laughs> charging station and you get an electric car and you it's it was just i I really do feel like it sounded like his stump speech that I've heard a million times before just all packed into one you know brief brief shining moment yet again but yeah, he's a mumbaloni. my teenagers talk like that they get in trouble around the house, so he's
3: <laughs> but no whoa I'm you're just... tough <laughs> I just want to say to Noah's point, though, I mean, uh, even though the, the the grand ambitions are being whittled down, whittled down and still not agreed upon, um, you still could end up in a situation a few months from now where something very big and stupid still passes, just just not as big and offensive and stupid as as it was. That's not exactly a win if you're a conservative.
0: Well, that's the fear, right? But, I, but here's where I'm going to agree with Noah on, and we can get to the conservative despair stuff. And again, I don't know what's going to happen today. Maybe Pelosi will, you know, as I mentioned yesterday on the, with the man who came to dinner analogy, maybe she'll pull the goddamnest rabbit out of the hat you ever saw and get something through. That's, which is almost impossible. But that said, um, I've been hearing conservatives who are very canny and thoughtful and just simply assuming as a matter of course over the last two months that eventually these bills would pass. They'd come to a number, they would pass the social bill and then they would pass the infrastructure bill. And you know why they thought that? Because that's the only sane thing to do, to do here. Biden is president, they're gonna have a majority for whatever it is that they have for another year at most, you know, at most, uh, and then they're not going to get anything done, take half a loaf, get what you can get, spend what you can spend, create facts on the ground that you will force Republicans and conservatives to contend with when they take charge of the Congress, all of that. That is a rational, you look at the situation and you say, that is what w- should happen rationally. That's why I am in this, myself in this state of puzzlement because I'm watching this, I'm there too, and they are not going to do that. They are the progressives are going to tank the infrastructure bill to preserve an idea about the social spending bill that their idea for it will end up tanking the social <laughs> the social bill because mansion and cinema will kill it if it's if it approaches. Okay. So I understand why conservatives, so, but for a month, they've been, or more, they've been saying, okay, well, this is inevitably going to happen. And now, guess what? No, it's not. Nothing changed. The progressives are exactly where they were in August. Biden's come down a trillion seven, and they're still there. You know,
2: Biden's come down. And the environment is moving away from them. Right. That's what's changed.
3: Right. I just you know, with the announcement of the framework this morning, it was like, oh, there must have been a breakthrough. There was no breakthrough. The clock ran out. I mean, no, there that, was a
0: breakthrough. There, here's the breakthrough. The breakthrough was uh, Joe Mansion, Senator Cinema, because once again, I can't remember how to pronounce her first name, even though we went through this fifteen minutes ago. Senator Joe and Senator Cinema, will you just not say no, right? just say we've made progress and they said yes we'll say we made progress okay I'm going to the hill we're going to get this through you've said we've made progress it's like and then Pramil Jayapal is like no no we're not voting for it we want to let we're going to see the legislative because we know you're trying to trick us you're trying to trick us into only spending more money than anyone has ever spent on anything ever before you, you, you conservative and liberal clothing. I mean, that, that's the quality of this to me. And it all stems from the madness that was afflicted, the, the madness that came upon the Democratic Party because of winning the two Georgia seats. Imagine a Biden presidency in which they did not have control of the Senate. Imagine, I mean, I don't know what would have happened I, he would not be at this pass now, if they hadn't if they had not had control. He would have been better off politically than with this catastrophe that has now faced him, having had control of the Senate. Now, Matt, I'm looking at you on the Zoom. Murphy. You look well, well weirdly, dubious it, it, and positive.
1: It occurs to me he could actually have been in the same position with the Republican Senate because uh, that's you know with the fifty the difference between a 50-50 Senate and the Republican Senate is really in the calendar and the committees, Um, you could have seen a scenario in which he would have proposed a bipartisan infrastructure deal, right? And it would pass the Senate, but then progressives might still hold it up in the house because it's not doing enough and it doesn't have. What's interesting about a lot of the progressive objection to the the framework uh, for the social spending announced today by the White House is, it's really over immigration, and you know the funny the the vaguest line in this framework was simply just a line that said immigration consistent with Senate reconciliation rules, right? And uh, and that I think annoyed some of the open borders radicals in the progressive caucus because they want to use this opportunity to radically um, uh, legalize uh, millions millions of people, um, and so so it's we're having this discussion about taxes and new entitlements, but really what's holding up or at least um, motivating a lot of the progressive animosity toward the Biden administration here is immigration. And then just one other point too is, you know, the most revealing thing uh, about this morning um, was that, as you mentioned, John, President Biden said to the Democratic caucus, this is my presidency. It's on the line. I need you to do this for me and yet all indications are as we record the, the, the podcast that democrats don't care about biden's presidency at all they they are just they don't see him they don't see their fortunes tied with him that's and exa- that's a, that's a very odd place for a president to be in i think
2: well i mean it's pretty familiar from the perspective of a Republican who had to deal with the Freedom Caucus. I and mean, they really, you know, to the extent that if they had a Mitt Romney presidency, they wouldn't have been especially supportive of it. Right. Um, but in fact, the Freedom their fortunes would have been advanced as a result
0: during a Democratic presidency. Right. Yeah. But yeah. when there was a Republican presidency, their Freedom Caucus fell in line, even though it was Trump. But, but they fell it, was, in line. it was
1: McCain. It was McCain who didn't care about the Trump presidency. Right. Right. And in fact, loathed Trump and his presidency, but right. actually killed the uh, last right.
2: ditch attempt. This is why you Obama have to here. you have to admit that Joe Biden is hopelessly incompetent as a political tactician at this point, because he <laughs> oh, yeah, he continues to raise the stakes. He, he's, he's, he raises the stakes, raises the stakes, raises the stakes without having the 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 hand to back it up so he loses all every hand and then just ante's up more so now he's putting his presidency on the line they're literally saying this is my presidency in your hands do with it what you will and they're going to kill it
0: i mean and and he said i can be lbj and 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 fdr combined if you'll just vote with me it's like why not say and then by the way, then he gives the speech and we should talk about the speech. Before we talk about the speech, I need to do, need to do an ad. So then we should talk about the speech. But let me talk to you first about our friends at Moinkbox if I can just find uh, the ad, which I had here. And then for some reason, my computer constantly eats my ads up and I don't know where they are. I apologize for this. This is maddening and it's terrible. And I'm sorry. Um, So look, Moink, family farms, Alaskan fish, delivers grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. The best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and the best salmon you'll ever eat won't come from the grocery store. You'll only find it on the family farm and caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. That's why you need Box dot com their animals are raised outdoors their fish swim wild in the ocean and moink meat is free of antibiotics hormone sugar and all the other junk you find pre-packaged in the meat aisle sign up at moinkbox.com slash commentary to get a year of bacon for free and then pick which meats you want delivered with your first box change what you get each month cancel anytime. founded by an eighth generation farmer featured on shark tank Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted. Jamie Simonoff, creator of the Ring video doorbell, invested in Moink. Join the Moink movement today. Go to Moinkbox.com/slash/commentary right now, and listeners to this show will get free bacon for a year. spelled M O I N K Box.com/slash/commentary. That's Moinkbox.com/slash/commentary. So at 11:30, Biden uh, gave a speech. And it was bizarre because what Biden said in the speech, Biden gave the same speech he would have given if both bills had been signed. It was a victory lap for something that of which for which there was no victory. It's interesting. It's an interesting strategy. People don't pay that much attention to politics, right? So maybe it'll work. I don't know. Work how? On whom? I don't know. You from tell the few, me. From, you're you're
2: yeah, there are five of us here. You guys tell me Is it's this working not out. I was thinking that, and you can answer this question for me. Is this the first real public pitch for the build back better, you know, spiritual infrastructure package? It's all no, been behind we heard, closed we heard, doors. We, heard,
0: we heard this speech four times in the summer, as far as I can tell. Really? And then maybe there's that's stuff why that it was that and, I mean, the joint
1: session. Yeah. He did bring up a lot. Oh, of yeah. the right. joint section
0: of Congress. That was, that was February. Has yeah. It been all was it, year, it April or February? February? I don't remember.
3: Maybe I just wanted from, from yeah. the five minutes of uh, mainstream TV commentary that I caught after the speech, it didn't seem to work at all. Um, right. No one refrained from bringing up the fact that there's no reason to think there's anything resembling a deal here uh, that that so escaped Matt and no I, one. Right.
0: Matt and I were texting during the speech, and I said to him, who, who is the speech for exactly? Because it's, of course, it's 11:30 in the morning. So he's delivering a speech to the American people, uh, you know, 11:30 in the morning. And Matt Matt, you very cleverly said it was for the female reporters sitting in front of them. And there was this actual moment, this actual hilariously comic moment where he directed his remarks on the female reporters sitting in front of him when it came to paying for childcare. I see women reporters right in front. Of, you know, you know what it's like, you know, how expensive it is. And you know, I was traveling on the train and I was making $42,000 a year. And it was expensive to have somebody caring for my kids at home because I, they were, I was on the train 250 miles a day. By the way, can I just bring one thing up and then I'm going to drop this? I know he lives in Delhi. He's a senator. He lives in Delaware. So he has to live in Delaware and all this. You know, he, he could have moved them to Washington and then kept his apartment in Delaware. Like, I, I know we're supposed to celebrate the wonders of his, you know, commitment to his children, his family by him going on the train 250 miles a day. But, you know. They also somehow senators with families do manage to live in Washington. You don't know Delaware, John.
1: You okay, don't know I'm sorry. The, magic, the magic of Delaware. It, it takes over once you set foot in there. You never want to leave.
0: I love the Chancery you Court. You need to be close once to Once you're near a Chancery Court, you never. And the boardwalk you, and all the beautiful You never places. move. You never, never move, move away from Dover and the Chancery Court in Wilmington.
3: Okay. Anyway. But, I, I mean, I have a thought on who the speech was for. It was for the, the the partisan cheering section of the press, who now got their marching orders and will go off and write pieces about how truly transformational the the quote framework is, how and, historic and, yes. this
2: moment is, and how the only obstacles before them are the moderates, which hasn't been operative for a long time. But I still hear people talking about mansion and cinema as though they're the, they're the, you know, the speed bumps here. The moderates in the House will vote
0: for both bills, you know? So anyway, here's, here's the other weird thing. So it's transformational. It's going to change everything. And in fact, it is the fear of it changing everything that makes it so unpopular and, and has, has, has thrown conservatives into despair. And we should talk about that too in a bit. That was not though he you kept using the words transformative everything. The examples that he used in the course of the speech were incredibly pedestrian. 500,000 electric charging stations. Uh, you're going to be able to take a train somewhere instead of driving. Diesel buses, Spewed pollutants, and we're going to stop that from happening with our five hundred thousand changing electric char- charging stations. I was saying changing stations because that's also something that you know parents need with their young children. I mean, I am not saying that you know a trillion seven in new spending wouldn't be transformative in the sense that it would create you know could in fact create what the White House wants, which is some cradle to grave welfare system that is th- that is laid out in this incredible document that the White House put out this morning, uh, the light. La- Can we talk about that? Laura, we have to talk, talk about, about that. that. It's hard to talk about it because you have to see it to get the full measure of it. But no, you don't. Well, you okay, do, you know, I guess. Okay. But I have a, but, whole, I wrote a whole um,
2: post on this this morning.
0: But here's my here's my point. Um, it wasn't exactly like, wow, this is going to change everything. Once there's a charging station <laughs> ten miles from my
2: house, but that's exactly right. This, this country will be forever altered. It's it's illustrative of the progressive worldview. They fancy themselves revolutionaries, changing the status quo, but their objectives are hopelessly banal, and really, actually, very unimaginative and unambitious. You can have a you can have a child tax credit. You can work at a wind turbine farm. You can be a member of organized labor. You have to give the whole plot of this story, Noah, so everybody knows well, this, why it, that's funny. <laughs> okay, if you, if you remember the life of Julia in 2012, which was a pitch on the Obama administration, a hilariously disastrous pitch, in fact. There have been studies done about how it failed dismally in its charge and uh, was subsequently struck from uh, Barack Obama's website, really, actually quite quickly. Um, it's, it basically reprises this. In the spirit of Hollywood, though, it reboots it with a properly marginalized identity as Julia now. Um, that's really the only change to the plot line, assuming that that changes the character's motives. Nevertheless, she works at a union job, she gets pregnant, you know, she's got cradle to grave support and from this welfare state, but it's essentially, they, it's a very Bolshevik view of you as a human being without any individual autonomy or, in, or individual identity, you exist as a cog to serve the state and the state casets you in this you know, blanket of red tape uh, until you mercifully pass away. That's basically the, the, the democratic ambition for you in your life. And it's supposed to illustrate what this Build Back Better agenda does. And as, as John says, it is, it is so unambitious, so uninsp- uninspiring um, and, and views you as someone who has such limited objectives for your own life um, that I, I, it probably will fail in the same way Life of Julia failed, not just because it's a very creepy example of collectivist propaganda, but because that's not the American story, Americans are far more ambitious for themselves and their children than Democrats seem to and progressives seem to right. be okay. able to so, envision. So there's also, I just want to add, yeah. there's also not uh, there's no father
4: in
0: this story. Right. Well, that's no father. Important. So it's there Linda. was not in,
2: there was none in, in the life of Julia either. Right. You were tethered to your community only by a series of government programs.
0: Right. So Linda is Linda a birthing a, person or a mother. It doesn't. It says mother. She's
1: a
2: mother. Okay. She's a working, oh, my working God. Mother. That Uh-oh. is horrifying. Yeah. A know. working
0: mother. She earns 40,000 a year. She's pregnant with her son, Leo. By the way, her son, Leo, in the womb has a name. Is also a son. Also gendered. I mean, She's yeah, gendered, gendered. And okay. before birth. So that's, Leo is horrifying. So Linda She's begins receiving child though. tax credits of $3,600 annually once he is born. As Leo grows up, government helps cover the cost for his daycare. Uh, he turns three. He attends a high-quality pre-K program for free. Uh, wait a minute, because I have it's in it's in several it's in several different. Um, where is this? Several different. When he leaves high school, he's able to enroll in a community college thanks to extended Pell grants and investments in community colleges. Then he lands a good. <laughs> union job as a get this you ready wind turbine technician so he's not only he's a working class person but he's working on wind turbines one place is not going to do that is on cape cod where the kennedy family has made sure that no wind turbines are permitted one of four billion new jobs a year that are supported by president biden's economic plan later in life Linda needs home care and hearing care. Thanks to President Biden's plan, Linda can access affordable hearing care through Medicare. Leo is able to afford at-home elder care for his mom.
2: Now, At least uh, Matt, Julia retired comfortably at the age of 67 to garden for a community center, right? right? Linda is spending yeah. her golden years in an assisted living facility whose only highlight of her life seems to be getting a hearing aid. With some subsidized help from and, the government,
0: and, and by the way, why are they stressing the hearing? Because they had to take out the dental, right? I mean, they could have had dental, but apparently it was too expensive. They could have had vision, but it was too expensive, or there was some extension to Medicaid anyway. So you get a hearing aid, you get, uh, you get some child tax credits, uh, and you get a great job as a wind turbine technician. After taking advantage of Pell Grants, which, by the way, have, have, are, are, are so old that the person for whom they are named has been dead for many years, <laughs> Senator Claiborne Pell, who is who is the inventor of the Pell Grant. But that still only They're buys so you community I college. I would have had a Pell Grant in college, but I didn't. And I am old. But, but it's so still, you can't it, take credit for the Pell Grant. I'm it, sorry.
4: It still only buys you community college, two years of community college. And I think that uh, to Noah's earlier point, it's, it's, it's just so unambitious. It's so uninspiring. It's so, it, 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 I mean, I felt like it was the kind of version of squid game. People would see this and go, is this my, like, I, I got to get out of this. How do I get out of this? Somebody give me some radical thing to do that would get me out of this situation. It's just, it's uninspiring. But also Squid well, Game
2: is how they view the capitalist enterprise honestly. It's, they they do see it as an unfulfilling process, actually yes, competing yes. for, you know, objectives in your life.
3: But what are what are they doing putting out this instant punchline as a, as as a piece of policy promotion? I mean that that to me that's the larger craziness. Of Occam's it. razor at this whole process. The whole podcast has
2: been that they don't know what they're doing. Simplest explanation.
1: Okay. I mean it's an easy way to illustrate what's in the framework. I mean, I think that's that's the simplest illustration. They want to show what benefits they going to they're willing to give the American people. The problem with it is one, it just shows it underscores what's missing. What what, what you know that the, the original intent was to provide Medicare coverage for dental, hearing, and vision. Now you're just getting the hearing aid. Apparently, you won't be able to chew or see. Um, you know, the original vision was for 12 weeks of paid leave. You'll be able leave. to hear
0: yourself chew, however. Right,
1: yeah. Uh, so, uh, now there's no parental leave. Uh, the original vision was four years community college. Now we have to rejigger the Pell Grants to give you some money. To be... So uh, it's a reminder of how uh, much the ambitions have uh, fallen. But I would say this. It's also a reminder of, that. here's the Democrats' problem they want a European welfare state paid for by the American tax system, that you cannot have that. They could have all of these things if they paid for it with the European tax system, which is a value-added tax system, which hits the middle class. And so that is, if, they were, that, on, if right. they were honest about it, and they said, we're gonna give you this, but it's gonna mean a major middle-class tax increase, there would be, go, go, they'd go nowhere. So instead, they'd have, they have to kind of this is why this the, the farce of the past week has been, oh, uh, well, we can't raise taxes on corporations or individuals. So maybe we'll have a carbon tax. Oh, no. Now we can't have a carbon tax. So maybe we'll have a wealth tax. Uh, oh, no, uh, we're not going to have a wealth tax. So maybe we're going to have a millionaire surcharge. Right. The the, 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 fundamental the corporate dilemma,
0: minimum tax, corporate minimum, the corporate tax minimum and, tax, a
1: uh, uh, millionaire mili- minimum tax and a global minimum tax, we're going to have all these minimum taxes. But the fundamental dilemma is they don't have the money to pay for the benefits they want to provide uh, the, the middle class and lower middle class.
0: And why don't they have that? Because they don't have a majority in the Senate, well, they don't and have they the have a three-seat support. majority in the House. They, there is no Walter, political
1: support. Since Walter Mondale, no Democrat, has campaigned on a middle class
0: tax increase. 30 years. In 1964, oh, I've sorry, said this 20,000 times on this podcast. Lyndon Johnson was elected president. He won by 22%. The House had a 155 seat Democratic majority. Democrats had 155 more seats than Republicans and 69 Democratic seats in the Senate. When the Great Society was proposed and passed, 70 bills passed the Great Society. The Republicans who opposed aspects of it had no argument that the American people were opposed to the provisions of the Great Society because the election had solved that question for them and for the Democrats, and for the Great Society. Biden won by 4.5%, lost 15 seats in the House, and ended up with no majority in the Senate, in part as a result of bizarre, psychotic machinations by the outgoing president to suppress the vote in Georgia. And they are attempting to recreate a new tax system and pass trillions of dollars of non-emergency spending having, by the way, shown that there was a consensus for trillions of dollars in emergency spending that was bipartisan. That was the COVID relief package, the second COVID relief package. They're crazy. They're crazy people. Politics is the art of the possible. You don't overpromise. That's what Noah and Abe, you're both saying. Like, what are they doing? And the answer is, and I think it is inescapable, that Joe Biden is a moron. Joe Biden is a moron. This wouldn't happen without Joe Biden being a moron. A sensible 78-year-old man who had been in politics for as long as Biden would have looked at the balance of forces and the way they were arrayed in Washington and would have set out a much more modest and much more doable agenda so that he could claim successes along the way. He would have pursued the Clinton after 94 model, which is do little things, get them passed, claim they're bigger, steal some stuff from the other side, see if you can work with them, whatever. But it was so easy to seduce this guy into the idea that he could be
3: transformational. And it's because he's an idiot. Well, which is why I still say I still go with the he's a fool, not a moron characterization because fools get seduced into believing uh, their own press and, the, and their own uh, self delusions. But what well, that does suggest that there should be some consequences for the seducers,
2: right? The people who misled him, who led him astray and who sacrificed so much because their their ambition was too too big and they didn't understand the political the political forces when does the hammer come down on Ron Klain? Ron
0: Klain last night as everybody noted like that I could see in the political world retweeted an anti make the deal tweet was it was it a Jayapal's tweet? I can't remember. It was some basic it was Eric tweet. Eric Levitz about, over at um, oh New it's York Eric magazine. Levitz, right? Of New York magazine saying, you know, anyway, uh, I mean, he seemed to be tweeting that he thought that people shouldn't should like hold hold the feet, progressives should hold everybody's feet to the fire. He's the White House chief of staff last night. But is he going to suffer the
1: consequences? You know, I don't even, I'm not even sure it's Ron Klain who's uh, fooling uh, Biden. Um, you know, Frank Foer wrote a piece for The Atlantic before the election, like in October 2020, saying Biden had been convinced by the circumstances of the pandemic and also his conversations with Elizabeth Warren, that if he were to become president, he would have, he would shoot for the moon. And let's not forget that, you know, he's always talking to his uh, woke grandchildren, who are probably telling him, you know, uh, AOC is queen, BAA, you know, Cory Bush knows what it's like, you know, you have to, you have to get down with the squad, Gramps, um, because they're the future of the country. And so that, that, Klein you know, obviously, he's the most um, visible uh, face of the progressive, instinct within this administration, but I'm sure there are others. And I think it starts from the top. I'm always, you know, everyone's always talking about Biden's mental uh, c- capacity and uh, always asking me, is like, you know, who's really in charge? And the truth is in every White House, the person in charge is the president. And even if the president decides to delegate, right? And not pay attention to a lot that's going on. Well, that's still his decision, you know? And, um, and so I think Biden believes what he told the, the House Democratic Caucus, that he, want, he could be better than FDR and LBJ combined if they only roll over and pass this <laughs> dinky infrastructure bill and let, and let the bigger uh, entitlement bill with the, uh, with, uh, with the pre-K, you know, pre-K and uh, a lot of some green stuff, you know, giveaways to their uh, uh, special interest uh, backers. Um, kind of hang in the wind uh, for, at a later date.
0: Um, by the way, this uh, $1.75 trillion you know, framework, by far the largest ticket item is climate-related, enviro stuff, $550 billion out of the $1.75 trillion. That's what they sacrificed some of the social spending on. And why is that? Because guess where he's going, fellas? He's going to a climate summit in Glasgow. And he wants to walk around saying, I committed the United States to $550 billion in new spending. Come along with me on this great journey. Get some electric charging stations there for your cars in, you know, in Tanganyika. You know, really, let's, let's, let's do this together. I, woo.
2: I heard uh, in the background and CNN before Joe Biden spoke, and I I can't attribute this to anybody because I wasn't watching it, but I heard it, something to the effect of summarizing Joe Biden's ideas, you know, the pitch here that he was about to deliver is that, quote, the prestige of the United States is on the line if this doesn't pass. And it's precisely the opposite. If this doesn't go forward, it is a result of a series of political forces from the ground up, uh, grassroots, uh, natural, and egalitarian, that have scuttled the ambitions of social engineers and the the, uh, the uh, stuff that is just not a priority to the American public, and that's anathema to a European social compact. They don't they don't have that. We do, and it's a miracle, and it's one that we should be very proud of. If this sort of thing doesn't go through, it is a result of. Uh, how responsive our political system is, in contrast to just about any other place on the planet.
0: Well, European political systems are, are parliamentary largely, and when you're part when you have a parliamentary system, your party and there is a pretty much a unicameral legislature, your party gets its agenda through. That's what happens. That is not the American system, and I I'm thinking one historical thing it's not historical because it's like seven years ago or six years ago or whatever so remember hillary clinton is sort of the prohibitive favorite to be the nominee in 2016 and almost from the beginning she gets into trouble right she gives that interview uh she says we were broke you know because things were so terrible then She gives that press conference in March of 2015 to talk about Benghazi and whatever was going on there and, you know, makes horrible mistakes. Someone asked her about her emails and she said, well, you think I wiped them away with a cloth? (laughs) Her numbers go from 65 percent positive to 40 percent positive. And there is Joe Biden sitting there in the wings, the sitting vice president of the United States. And we were told time and again that Barack Obama did not think that Biden Should be president. He's grief stricken. His son Bo had died. It's it, but you know, really, it's Hillary's turn. But we need a woman, whatever it was. And there's Biden sitting there. Hillary is coming a cropper. Hillary's defeat in 2016 is a direct result of everything that happened in 2015, including her refusal to jettison Huma Abedin. So that Anthony Weiner's computer should become a major issue in the last ten days. All of this was visible and evident in 2015, and Barack Obama is not a fool, he is not an idiot, and I'm sure he saw it. And this, I'm going back and thinking, Biden ran the table in 2019-2020, why is, was Obama so blinded that he couldn't see that maybe Biden could do this? And maybe Obama knew that Biden was incapable of being president, And that it wasn't because of Bo and it wasn't because they needed a woman. It wasn't because he had a private compact with the Clintons when Hillary dropped out in 2008 or something. It's that it's that Obama knew Biden better than anybody knew Biden and said, what are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you crazy? That guy has to be kept as far away from the Oval Office as, you know, he can be as close as the vice president to me, but otherwise, who knows? (laughs) That way lies disaster. And I, you know, I think it's hard to read this in any other way. I mean, basically, like Biden, Biden has been a terrible, terrible president. And I'm not even talking about from my lights. I'm talking about from the lights of a moderate Democrat, a progressive Democrat, a, a reasonable Democrat, an independent, like, who thinks he's been good? Who thinks the last nine months are evidence that he is somebody who has an understanding of the levers of power, how to use it and how to function? I mean, that's the end of my. David Rothkoff,
1: David Rothkoff, David
0: Rothkoff. He thinks everything is going. Yes.
1: Swimmingly. (laughs) Uh, The aforementioned Eric Levitz uh, wrote a piece for New York Magazine recently saying that Bidenomics is going great.
0: Uh, yeah, so well, there, we should get we should we should we should get to that, too, because we should talk about the GDP numbers. But let me just talk to you first about Maiden and ask you, uh, how does your favorite restaurant consistently make such delicious food? The short answer is they have access to the right kitchen tools and Maiden and its professional quality cookware and kitchenware means that you and anyone capable of making restaurant quality food at home. They source the finest materials partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup they're made to last and made offers a lifetime guarantee it's cookware distributed evenly and can go even easily from the stovetop to the oven 40,000 five star reviews products used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin starred restaurants around the world better cookware for better meals. That's Made In. And right now, Made In is offering our listeners 15% off their first order with promo code COMMENTARY. This is the best discount available anywhere for Made In products. Go to m-a-d-e-i-n cookware.com slash COMMENTARY and use promo code COMMENTARY for 15% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash COMMENTARY. Use promo code Commentary. So, uh, as all this was going on, you know, this is now this is now a secondary headline because of all this nonsense. We get the news that the uh, economy grew two percentage points in the third quarter of 2021, after having grown 6.7 percentage points in the uh, second quarter of 2021. This is a horrifically bad number. I mean, I suppose it could have been worse. Hard to imagine it could have been if it really been worse then it really would have been worse. We're not even talking about it because it's not Biden's fault. It's, uh, it's supply chain and it's the, the Delta variant. And really, it's the supply. And, and the other big thing is, well, all the social spending ran out. The, the federal subvention for uh, unemployment at $300 a week ran out. So you can't expect the economy not to shrink. It's not shrinking. It's growing, but it's but it's growing, you know, much more slowly than anybody thought it would at this point.
2: There's Who's a, got, yeah. This is part of the reason why, and probably the sole reason why Democrats are unable to pass their their policy preferences because they are so out of line with what American preferences are. Um, Georgetown Institute of Politics and Public Service polls, annual poll come, came out today. And the numbers are abysmal. Sixty-three percent of voters think the country is headed in the wrong direction, up from fifty-six percent in June. Sixty-six percent of, of voters believe the economy will be worse off for the next generation. Pessimism is is through the roof. People are not in a good mood. They all blame the economy. They all feel inflation, which is why Joe Biden had to had to talk about this today. And their priorities are just not where the American people's priorities are and again this is the miracle of our system we have a very responsive system that that if without the voters in the middle that democrats need the gears of government do not are not self-lubricating uh
0: so are are people if everybody understood that oh one more point i'm interrupting
2: i'm sorry but we talked about this before the bennison newhouse polling which suggests that independent voters are now coupling their worsening economic conditions with fiscal profligacy in Washington, that they don't believe it. The statement was, I'm paraphrasing, something to the effect of that consumer prices will continue to rise until Washington gets its fiscal house in order. That's death for progressive priorities.
0: So that's progressive priorities. But of course, in the end, elections are always between two choice. you know, basically come down to two choices and, you know, we know basically 90 percent of how those choices are usually going to go based on the demographic and uh, consistent makeup there, you know, of, of districts and, and all of that, which is what makes Virginia and what's going to happen on Tuesday in Virginia and may to a lesser extent New Jersey so interesting because obviously all the evidence suggests that Republicans are outperforming in both places and wildly radically outperforming in Virginia And that shouldn't be the case. And it is the case because of, but here's the interesting thing. It seems to be the case because not because of these issues, but because of other hot button social issues. But if Biden had the house in order, if the economy were going better, and if there didn't appear to be chaos in general, people would be feeling better about being Democrats and independents would feel better about Democrats and Terry McAuliffe would be likely in no real trouble. That is because the crisis happened and Youngkin, the Republican, doesn't have to run on it because it's so self-evident that COVID hasn't been fixed, that the inflation is growing, that the supply chain is bad, and that Afghanistan went poorly. And there's, of course, a lot of military voters in Virginia and all of that. You add all that together and he gets to run on other stuff because, uh, you know, it's all visible. Matt, you're in Virginia seeing every single ad on television being about Yunkin and McAuliffe. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, a recent poll uh, in Virginia said uh, that Yunkin was leading McAuliffe on the economy and education. Which, and if you're a Democrat losing those issues... <laughs> you're probably in trouble so but i think that's one place where the inflation is showing up in our politics is that um the whatever advantage the democrats had on the economy is is dissipated because the inflation is real and uh, with this growth number uh released today we have the possibility of a return to stagflation the combination of recession and inflation that uh, afflicted us in the, the late 1970s um Look, the, the McAuliffe, uh, to some degree, gave Youngkin his chief issue, which is education, by this uh, now infamous line he had in a debate in September where he said, you know, I don't want parents in uh, telling teachers what to teach. And uh, this, this was on video and it was the basis of most of Youngkin's ads for um, September and October, for the last month anyway. And it seems to have been a, a real important part of Yunkin's ability to um, basically create a, a toss-up race. I would say McAuliffe is, in the last days, he's really um, trying hard to pin Yunkin as a, a MAGA candidate, as someone out of step with Virginia values, as an extremist. Um, and it could be that Virginia is blue enough that that will be a winning message for McAuliffe uh, in the end. I also saw recently that uh, McAuliffe has hired Mark Elias, the uh, You know, uh, the Democratic super lawyer who specializes in electoral issues. And that might be in preparation for what looks to be a very close election. Um, But I think overall, what Virginia shows is the the almost complete erosion of Biden's standing. I mean, this is, you know, the one thing we know correlates with these election outcomes is the presidential approval rating. And the presidential approval rating is just, I'm not even sure it's bottomed out, but it's it's dropping like an out-of-control elevator. And so that's what's put Virginia into play for Republicans and also has caused a little bit of scare, a little bit of fright in New Jersey. Um, the very idea that Biden felt he had to go and campaign uh, for Phil Murphy, the the incumbent governor. Of New Jersey, it's, it's kind of startling I, I, for for political observers like me.
2: We should say that, you know, I'm, I live in New Jersey. I follow that race rather closely. Monmouth poll came out yesterday. It's a very under-polled race, but Monmouth came out yesterday. Should have wasn't especially competitive race. filmer uh, for the incumbent Democrat, is on track to be the first Democrat to win re-election since Brendan Byrne in 1977, I believe. Um, and he's way outpacing Joe Biden's job approval rating. Joe Biden's job approval rating in my state, New Jersey, according to that poll, was 43% down by, I think, 56% two months ago. That is just cratering, a rapid crater.
0: You hate to see it.
2: You, you just, you, you,
0: you, ha- you hate to see it. You hate to see it. How could this be happening? It would take a heart of stone not to laugh aloud at the death of Little Nell. With that, thank you, Matt Contineni. Thank you so much for joining
3: us. And for Abe, Christina, Noah, I'm John Podhoretz. Keep the candle burning.